This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm with David Hughes. Dave, how's things, mate? Very good, thank you, mate. <coughs> Very good indeed. No updates, nothing like that. No, yeah, yeah. I, I try and bring something to the table every week, but uh, yeah, there's not that much to say. I um, certainly have got nothing, no interest in talking about the sun, Sunday's derby. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can, yeah, you know, we can focus on everything but that then. Well, it's funny because uh, every week Liverpool are just ploughing on. You know, there's no, there's no major updates on the Liverpool front either because the team is still just consistently winning games and making certain games that shouldn't be easy look really, really easy and overcoming tricky tests and all that sort of stuff. So, obviously, Liverpool won the derby. Liverpool beat Villarreal last night. Um, and Liverpool have games to come. We have Newcastle on the weekend. We have the second leg against Villarreal. So, plenty to talk about, plenty going on. Um, but I think first, we'll talk about some news today, mate. Uh, Jürgen Klopp. Quite surprisingly, I thought, um, not that I thought he was going to get off in 2024, but I didn't think he'd make a decision now, and I didn't think he had to make a decision now. Um, and I do think, I do appreciate that he's got a life, <laughs> you know, so you might want to live that outside of football. But according to reports anyway, he seems relatively keen on extending his deal apparently for another two years, which would take him to 2026, potentially. Uh, what are your thoughts? Are you surprised? Or... Um, I am a little bit, yeah, <laughs> because I am a little bit surprised because it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's it's very demanding at that level, isn't it? You know, you, you're kind of involved in football matches, you know, not even not even the day-to-day training. When you're Liverpool, when you're Manchester City, when you're at the, the kind of elite clubs, you you're involved in football matches like every two or three days. You know, just the travel that goes with it, uh, the amount of detail that goes into competing at that level is just. And I imagine it'd be overwhelming, but I think you know those type of characters, your clops and everyone who's kind of involved uh, at that at the highest level. I think they just live for it, don't they? They thrive on it, so so maybe that's why you can you can have the energy to do it. So. I am a little bit surprised because I, th- I thought maybe he would have, uh, you know, went off into the sunset as a hero in two years' time. But I mean, things are just so good at the moment. Maybe, maybe he's got the view of well, why would I? You know, why would I not enjoy another another four years uh, of what's going on and, and what we've kind of built at the club? So a little bit surprised, but you know, when you think about it, I can understand. I can understand why he wants to stay. Yeah, well, that's that's been my thoughts on it. You know, you, you do have to kind of think. He's he's still relatively young for a a football coach. I'm going to say. Let me just double check that. Klopp is fifty four, mm. and just for a bit of perspective on that, Eric Ten Hag is fifty two, uh, and he's perceived as a young coach who's now just making his step up to the elite, if you like, in terms of taking a big job and things like that, moving to a big five European league. It does feel like Klopp's been doing this for ages now, and he has, he's been doing this for about 20 years, but he's still young in managerial terms, and you do have to think, you know, is he ever going to get a better 
club job than this at the minute, what, what he's got right now, in terms of how aligned Everton is from top to bottom. The power he's, he seems to have established in the Premier League, I think, is almost bordering on Alex Ferguson levels of power um, and influence. Obviously, he's listened to at the club. Um, he's a socialist, which fits in with the city and things like that. And I think potentially one of the reasons why he might have been, this is a guess, but one of the reasons why he might have been toying with the idea of, of leaving in 2024 is, yeah, I think he might have viewed his initial Liverpool squad, you know, the one that won the Champions League, as not a fluke, but Liverpool got every transfer right. You know, you got Van Dijk in, you got Salah in, Mane, uh, Fabinho. These are ridiculous trends, you know, uh, Robertson. And for Liverpool to be able to do that again, maybe he was viewing that as, as as slim chances and things like that. But on the back of that, Liverpool have now added Diaz, who looks like another one. Johnson's looking good. Canate's looking great. So maybe he's now thinking, I can, I can actually dominate with this team and, and actually attack multiple competitions with this team. It's not, it wasn't a fluke what we did. Hmm. Potentially, yeah. You know, it's... Uh... It obviously wasn't a fluke, but there was there was always the thing hanging hanging around that you know these plays had, had all just kind of hit the prime together, and there would be a rebuild rebuild of some kind needed in the in the you know soon to be future, I guess. Um, but kind of gradually over the past two or three windows, Liverpool have have been buying those plays. I've been recruiting the. You know, quote unquote, next generation uh, players who are 24, 25, who have the potential to be as good, you know, really high ceilings and and look like they can be key pillars of the team going forward. So, yeah, there's every chance that he's looking at it now and going, okay, well, I'm going to lose Salah uh, for me, you know, Mane maybe in the next year or two. But suddenly I've got. Jota, I've got Diaz, um, you know, you've got Harvey Elliott, wait, who's still just a teenager, you know, Alexander Arnold, he's he's still early twenties, he his prime years aren't even here yet. Uh you've just mentioned Canate, you know, looks really good player. He's still got his prime years to come. So, you know, suddenly looking at the team and going, I mean, this this next generation is very close to being here. Um and they look like they can be a team that that, you know, can compete. Um, for 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 all trophies. So so why would he not kind of want to enjoy that ride? Maybe that is why. But I, I think there's probably just a bigger picture, and there's a bigger picture that he's just enjoying himself so much. And as you said, you know, he's where where he's going to go in world football, where where he'd be able to re- replicate this. It's possible, but it'd take a lot of hard work, and and even then, there'd be no guarantee that he'd be getting what he's getting now. So, um. I suspect this is all a big reason why he why he wants to stay. I mean, it's it's not particularly good news for Liverpool's rivals. Um, obviously, Pep Guardiola is supposedly leaving in twenty twenty three. I actually think that might depend on whether they win the Champions League. I think if he wins the Champions League this season, for example, I think he probably will get off in twenty twenty three. If he doesn't, maybe he'll stay around till it happens. Obviously, Manchester United, as I just said, have appointed Eric Ten Hag. In the past few weeks, maybe you could look at United target in twenty twenty five as that's when we win the league, or that's when we really challenge for the league or whatever. Now on the back of that news, that Klopp's staying. 
going to be difficult to do, you know, and it, it could get to the point, mate, where <laughs> it, it does boggle the mind a little bit just how, how much Liverpool could dominate once once Pep leaves in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, considering the squad that Liverpool seem to build two players in every position now. Um, again, Klopp's influence in the league is just going to grow. So, and he's already won a fair few trophies, so. Mm-hmm. Could you ever foresee a... Um... So, as we're talking now, I'm just trying to imagine um, doing a podcast. Obviously, they didn't exist in the early noughties, but doing a podcast in the early noughties with um, Arsenal fans talking about Arsene Wenger, you know, after the Invincibles and them being kind of untouchable, you know, winning the league, etc. And, and obviously... Um, if you think of how his career kind of snowballed in those final few years to the point where he become quite uh, almost a little bit unpopular, you know, at Arsenal, could you, could you ever see a position where Klopp would potentially stay too long? If that makes sense. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think he's almost too clever to do that. Uh, I think he seems a bit streetwise of that. I do think every every coach does get to a point where he becomes relatively outdated. I do think that that, that is a thing. Um, if you look at you know Mourinho, who was who was just absolutely peaking, maybe fifteen years ago, something like that, ten fifteen years ago. Uh, Louis Van Gaal has has had his time. Arsene Wenger the same. Um, and Pep Guardiola was so ahead of the curve that his peak is still going. I think it's been going on for about 12 years. Klopp, you could argue, how long has Klopp been at his peak now? About 10, about mm. 8 years or something like that? Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd, yeah, yeah. So I do, I, I, do, I do think it happens, but I think specifically with Linda's under Klopp and things like that, I don't think Klopp does too much of the coaching and I think a lot of the ideas originate from Linders as well. I actually think if Klopp wasn't to stay, Linders would be the man to, to probably keep it going. The more I've thought about it. And that's probably why Klopp doesn't have to make a big decision two years in advance for Liverpool can find a successor. I think if Klopp does leave, Linders will just keep the keep the ship going in the same direction, hopefully. Mm. Um but yeah in terms of becoming outdated, I do think that's generally a thing and that's something that it's it's difficult to avoid really. Um, you just got to hope that he kind of, he does jump before that happens so that he's remembered for what he delivered at his peak level of performance rather than Wenger, as you, as you said, he was he was kind of uh, made a little bit redundant at the end. And I remember games against Guardiola, Arsenal and City, massive difference obviously between the two teams in terms of players, but it just in terms of style, it's different as well. Guardiola's team was just so much more intense than Wenger's. Um, and that's just that's just the bottom perception on the game and how that influences things. Hmm. I mean, I must I should clarify just so I don't get any abuse. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that I'm predicting that to happen. I think it's just a interesting question to ask because uh, it, it does happen eventually. But it is inevitable. I mean, yeah, but that's that's it, isn't it? You know, it would it, it, if if Klopp kind of stayed indefinitely at some point that would happen, wouldn't it? But. Um, and, and you know, I want to clarify. I don't. I wouldn't expect that to happen, even if he extended his stay until twenty twenty six. Because how long would that actually be as a Liverpool career? Would that be eleven years? That'd be eleven years. Yeah. 
Yeah, see, so it is long in the modern game now. Um, but, yeah. you know, yeah, Liverpool and, and, and Klopp's relationship is quite unique uh, in comparison to many other kind of managerial and uh, football club relationships. So that's why I think that has the uh, potential to to be successful, you know, for that length of period. It is quite amazing when you think about he's probably going to go his whole managerial career without ever getting sacked, which is, mm. you know, such a outlier thing compared mm. to, uh, you know, the rest of the football world. It's just unheard of. Guardiola's probably going to do the same, to be fair to him. Mm. Um, just two one-offs that I'm sure both City and Liverpool want to want to keep. You know the way things are at the moment. There actually isn't another top manager I can think of who's who's who's, who's not been sacked. Yeah, Guardiola and Klopp. That's that's it, really, isn't it? Is Simeone is Simeone being sacked. Simeone is a good show, yeah, but I think he's only has he only had one club though. Mm, yeah, I don't think he's managed before. No, Atletico. Maybe you want to look on someone else if you want to do the research and let us know, then by all means. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah. you could you could go, you could say Michael Arteta has never been sacked really, couldn't you? Could you yeah, yeah. Klopp's been around for 20 years plus. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on aside from the, uh, the managerial news, in the same breaking news story, I suppose, it's emerged that Liverpool, uh, they do like. Adel and Chew and many. Mm. Uh, we've spoken about them a number of times on this podcast. What reports did emerge from, I think it was David Ornstein around maybe the Christmas period. I initially loved it when I thought about it, actually. And I still love it now, even though I think there's slightly less... It looked like there was more of a need back then because Liverpool were, you know, 3 all against Brentford, I think it was. Uh, it got beat 3-2, I think, by West Ham. Um two all against Brighton so Liverpool were shipping goals not so much anymore um, Liverpool have actually considered the same number of Premier League goals this season as Manchester City both on 21 but I think still despite that if you look at Liverpool's midfield departments they probably could do with a player like two many this summer yeah yeah um, the big thing he has obviously is beyond being a fantastic player this is age isn't it and that, that ties in with the, the the, the main issue, I guess you're hinting at there, is it's not that Liverpool have uh, a quality problem at the moment in the middle. You know, they've got fantastic mid- midfielders. It's just, again, about looking ahead. Uh, you, you know, you're looking, Thiago's being fantastic. Uh, Fabinho, you're thinking fantastic, great. You know, it's a good midfield, but they're all obviously getting getting on a little bit. And uh, maybe we're, we're looking at, a potential of the kind of next generation in that area of the pitch. Uh, and it's easy to see why why Liverpool would be interested for the for the reasons we've already spoke about, I guess. You know, it's the it's it is just so interesting that we um and I don't mean this in an an arrogant way, but it's interesting the amount of players that we'll speak about on the show that Liverpool then get linked with. It just kind of reiterates that they, they tend to do good business. You know, they don't tend to because on the show, we don't really talk about players who are in the headlines, do we? There's normally a, a, another motive for why we'll speak about a player, um, you know, something that they're doing well or we think they uh, thrive in Klopp's system. And it is interesting that a lot of these players do end up kind of um, coming to the forefront in terms of Liverpool's transfer speculation. So, it's, um, yeah, and he's, he's one of them. Well, yesterday, I actually was looking... Back at a lad that I flagged ages ago, linked with Liverpool ages ago, in um, Lloyd Kelly. Mm. 
who is at yeah. Bournemouth now. But I didn't realise he's now he's now captain of Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Um and he's now a centre back. Uh, whereas when Liverpool looked at him, when we looked at him on the show years ago, it was an emerging left back coming through. I think it was Charlton, maybe it was a Charlton. No, sorry, I think it was there. Because was, I was going to say to you, it wasn't Bournemouth, was it, when we spoke about him? No, no, Bournemouth paid about 15 million for him, and that was what put Liverpool off, I think. But he was coming. Oh, it was in, Bristol City. Bristol, yeah. I'm just thinking all the all the emerging talents come through Charlton, me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Joe Gomez and Eze Concert and all these <laughs> players. Um, but yeah, Lloyd Kelly, cross your mind, he was a player that we flagged a while back. And uh, yeah. that, that Josh Gogradiol, who I flagged, I think. Maybe it was last season, something like that. He's getting linked with Spurs of late because um, he's having a good season at Larby Leipzig. Um, but yeah, we have a few of them. It's always interesting to see how they get on further down the line. Sometimes you predict winners. Sometimes you predict players who, for whatever reason, just fall off the face of the earth. Um, but yeah, in terms of... You said it, not me. I, I weren't going to bring that one up then. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing up regions. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if, if, if my point regarding the too many, yeah, aside from his age, is if you look at Liverpool's midfield department now, or if you consider what it will look like in the summer, Henderson, Fabinho, Milner, Thiago, Keita, Ox, Jones, Elliot, and Carvalho. So if you look at that as a group, for me, that group is probably more offensive than defensive if you know what i mean mm. um i think fabinho is probably the only player out of that group who is naturally more inclined to think i am an against the ball player rather than the with the ball player if you know what i mean um and i think too many would would kind of solve that a little bit he would add like a, a degree of just defensive protection, solidity, whatever you want to call it, to Liverpool's midfield department. If you look at, I've, I've flagged these numbers a few times, but it's still the case. If you look at this season across Europe's top five leagues, just in terms of tackles and interceptions, uh, many is currently third across Europe's top five leagues behind only two players. Funny enough, mate, one of the players who he's behind, who I've actually, I have liked the look of, he's getting on now, so it's no point in even flagging him really, but Christian Norgaard at Brentford. Mm-hmm. Um, he he shows up a little bit to me. He, he, I don't know, just a complete side track here, but I think I think he's a good little player. Him. How old is he now, though? <laughs> he's twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. But I think Brentford have got a good one there. But anyway, in terms of two and many, <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he stayed in Europe's top five leagues for tackles and interceptions in total, and I th- I'm pretty sure, yeah, last season, I'm pretty sure it was it was. Virtually a similar story. I think he ranked inside the top three again. Um, but it's it's a nice thing to have, and probably if you look at Liverpool's midfield department, arguably what they don't have really apart from Fabinho. Yeah, you know, I mean, he has a really important role in that Monaco team, and the, I mean, they've been finishing the season really strong, and he's kind of had a really key role in it. You know, I, just, I was just having a look now, and they've they've won six games on, on the spin, um, not conceding many goals at all. And I think he's. He's definitely, from what I've read, he's been getting credited with a lot of those kind of um, strong defensive performances. Um, so, I mean, it's it's just good to see from a Liverpool perspective, seeing them getting linked uh, with that kind of play, and not just getting linked, but you, you tend to 
you tend to fancy the chances now because of you know how attractive they are uh, as a club to, to to land these profiles, land these land these players. Yeah, I have just looked back at last season, and by the same numbers, just tackles and interceptions, he ranked second across Europe's top five league last season. So inside the top three, top two for two consecutive seasons, they're playing for Monaco. Um, you did just mention that he's playing as part of the two, I think you said. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yes, yeah, so it's it's actually coming through now that Jürgen Klopp has just signed the contact extension as we are live recording uh, until 2026, as I said. So another four years minimum, it looks like, of Jürgen Klopp. Um, I'm glad I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say then what do you think, Dave, but I've just asked you what you think for the past 20 minutes. So uh, yeah. we'll leave that one there. That is good news, obviously. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, too many, I mean, this is this looks like good news as well. Whether it'll be enough to land too many, I'm not sure because Real Madrid is supposedly interested in him, Chelsea are supposedly interested mm-hmm. in him. But I think Real Madrid in particular, for some reason, it's just even despite their current level, it's it's always feels quite difficult to compete with Real Madrid when it comes to attracting players to the club. You know, Mbappe, for example, Real Madrid have been able to land him despite Real Madrid, in my opinion arguably not being as good as PSG at the minute. Um, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, an interesting... That, uh, it wasn't... Was it, I don't... I'm sorry. No, Camavinga, was he... Was He He was in Liga last year, wasn't he? I can't yeah, I yeah. who he was with. Uh, he was with Renz, I think, wasn't he? Renz, yeah. And because uh, there was a few, obviously, interesting names, some really big teams, but it, he, he seemed pretty content on going to Real Madrid when he heard that he was interested. So, you know, hopefully it's not well, I remember, um, I remember sadly, Alisson, when Liverpool were linked with Alisson, when he was at Roma, I heard, you know, memes that he, he was kind of waiting to see if Madrid were going to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had, I think they had Courtois at the time, or they, they went and signed Courtois after it or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it is the super club in many people's eyes, so difficult to compete. But if Liverpool can compete and Liverpool can land too many, I think he would be perfect. As a, as what Liverpool, I mean Liverpool have got a great squad at the minute. But in terms of what they don't have, you could argue he is that kind of player. Um, he played a part of midfield too this season, so you could argue he'd have to adapt a little bit if he came to Liverpool. I think Fabinho would stay where he is, and I think too many would kind of maybe start to play as like a number eight, but not as a number eight who's going to get forward too much. Um, but I'm not sure where the where the team will go with him in the team because I think he'd be a starter. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd have to, even if it, he wasn't straight away, you know, within a year or two, he'd be a starter and then quickly become a kind of key pillar in the team. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll leave that news there then and we'll move on to the Champions League. Obviously, Liverpool had Villarreal and we did preview it. I think we previewed it. Did we, did we preview it last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I also sent out a newsletter anyway and I, I was quite concerned about this team just because Across the board, they did look like a strong defensive unit. And I did risk it sending out a newsletter saying Liverpool might find this one tough. Whenever you say that, you always have to put in the caveat Liverpool could win 4-0. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that kind of happened in a way. But I did I did think for 45 minutes it was going to be another one of them, really, uh, similar to, to the Merseyside derby. Yeah, look, I mean... Stately obvious, but Liverpool controlled the territory. They controlled the ball, uh, but 
you know, Villarreal defended the, the, the you know the penalty box area really well. It was cl- quite clear what they were doing. Kind of sitting in a low block, they weren't interested in trying to get possession. You know, they were happy to to forego that. They they weren't interested in pressing high of the pitch. They just wanted to restrict space in in their own half. And look, it, I mean, it was a they did a decent job of it. Well, you know, they did a good job of it. Um, were you disappointed with them at all? I was no, I wasn't disappointed. Uh, the only the only thing, even looking at it from their point of view, I understand why they do it. You know, because you can hopefully try and frustrate an, an, an opponent who's clearly superior than you and, you know, maybe hold on for a decent away result. But my issue with that tactic is I just think teams always eventually run out of steam and you can be undone by, you know, kind of freak moments or moments of brilliance. You know, if you think of at nil-nil Thiago's shot from, from nothing really hits the bar, you know, very easily. A couple of inches lower, and that's that's the opening goal, and your game plan's done. You know the goal is an even better, even better example. Uh, it takes a deflection from a cross, uh, goes in, and suddenly you, you're done. Then you know one nil, and then a quick five second, and and the whole landscape of the tie changes. So I wouldn't say I was disappointed in them, but um, I just think there's always a risk when you when you take when you take that take on that tactic. I don't believe. It's it's something that's uh, brilliant for a full ninety minute match. I can understand if you maybe adopt it last last thirty minutes or so, but I think a team like Liverpool, as they've shown in that game and they showed on Sunday in the Merseyside derby, I think they probe enough and eventually they'll they'll break through. Yeah, um, I think for me, I thought they got the first half spot on. I thought they they, they did exactly what they had to do. I thought the game plan was. Was working quite well. What I was disappointed with in on their side was we tried to paint them as a team that, in addition to soaking pressure, they can use the ball. And I think the way in which they use the ball in this game, in my opinion, was quite poor. I think they're better than than what they showed. They can play football. They can break. Danny Pereira was a better um, ball player than he showed. Better conductor, if you like, in the middle of the park than he showed. Um, and the likes of Chuck Weezy and Dan Juma are usually bigger threats on the break. I suppose that's a testament to Liverpool's level and Liverpool's counter-pressing on the day. The security that they gave the centre-halves and things like that, because I think over the course of the game, they had a one shot and it didn't hit the target. I don't think Alisson had to make a save. Mm. So I tried to paint them as better than that, and they, they will be better than that next week. But having said that, I do think that the tie is pretty much sewn up. Uh, Klopp won't say that, but I mean, when did Liverpool last lose by two goals? Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I actually think weirdly, if you if you look at that second leg, you know, and Ray says after the game, does need that, it's going to be a completely different tie over there. Uh, the, the approach is going to be different from them. I guess it's obviously going to be that. It's obviously going to be a different approach because they're 2-0 down. You know, they're going to have Gerard Moreno back as well. Uh, Moreno, sorry. Um, who's such an important play for them. Obviously, they missed him. And I think a little bit, Josh, on what you were saying, that they were a lot poor, poorer on counter-attacks or on the ball. That probably had a little bit to do with it because how important he is for them. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we can accept that. But 
when you actually think of it, if, if they approach it with a more uh, attack-minded in the return leg, you know, maybe trying to give him a better platform to, to, to score goals, try and reverse the scoreline, etc., then all I can see, honestly, given how much better Liverpool are than Villarreal, all I can see is probably the deficit being extended. You know, yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool to... getting more space. Exactly, yeah. I think they'll get more spaces for attackers to run into. If you think of the form like Trent's in, Thiago's in, think how they'll be able to exploit those pass, uh, those spaces, you know, with passes, with balls in to the forwards. I just, I could see Liverpool actually having quite a comfortable evening if this game opens up more. And I think uh, Villarreal are in a position now where they're going to have to try and open the game up and be a little bit more attack-minded and that'll just play right into Liverpool's hands. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool didn't fall for the, the same tricks that Bayern fell for. I think that was crucial to Liverpool eventually finding a breakthrough. Obviously, I've mentioned a few times that, that Bayern posted, I think it was 25 shots from outside the box over their two legs against um, Villarreal. And they also hit 34 crosses, which is the most that they've hit in a single game all season. Liverpool, in, in their game, um, hit... I think it was seven shots from outside the box. Yeah, it was. And 16 crosses, which is virtually what they average in the Premier League anyway. Uh, so Liverpool kind of played their usual game. They didn't play the game that Villarreal almost encouraged them to play, which is a bit suboptimal, if you like. Liverpool actually had two shots less than Bayern did in Bayern's home leg. But the shots were just better quality, closer to goal. And uh, I think Liverpool just executed... You know what you need to do to break down a block better than Bayern Munich did, um, mm. and it bodes well for for setting up a, a final against one of City or Real Madrid. It's nice that that's still in the balance. It's probably going to be Manchester City. God help us! <laughs> but did you uh, did you get to watch that game? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually caught frustratingly. I had something to do, so I caught the first first hour. I think I caught. Yeah. Um, so the end when it kind of went a bit mental and the Penenkin and all that, I actually missed that live. Yeah, I'm, I must admit, um, that was the crazy though. Yeah, through through my own kind of commitments this year, uh, I haven't watched a lot of kind. I, I've only been able to watch Wednesday Champions League games, so I've missed like fifty percent of of the big games this year on Tuesdays and um, seasons finished now. So I've been able to. I was watching that, and hand on heart, that was one of the best. In terms of pure entertainment, you know, forgetting everything else, yeah. that was one of the best Champions League ties I've wa- watched in a long time. Like it was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, I mean, I think you, you actually, were, I was going to say you can't say that either, can you? About too many Manchester City ties. Um, no. the, uh, a few years back, to be fair, soon they had one with Monaco. Kylian Mbappe was there. That was a great tie. Um, but other than that, one wasn't bad as well. Might have remember that one. Exactly, that's a good shout, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong there. <laughs> no. the one those was not bad either. Yeah, but I, the, well, the thing is though, I was about to say Pep must have been furious because you know he's, he's yeah. so invested in control, isn't he? And um, and he created so many big chances, um, and somehow they've only come away with a you know a one goal lead. Um, and that that you've just said that the ties and the balance, I think that is the best way to describe it. It's just I could not predict who's going to go through. You'd think City, but I don't know, Madrid over there. 
they are a weird team, aren't they? Especially yeah. with uh, with Benzema, he does seem to have really stepped into that Ronaldo type void where you just kind of give him the ball in the box and he will just find something. He will make something out of it. He'll turn water into wine if you like. Yeah. Um, you don't need to feed him particularly well, and he will he will just decide a game almost. Mm. Um, that's two against Manchester City. Scored a hat against PSG. Scored a hat against Chelsea. Um, so if Liverpool do get in the final, he's obviously the major threat. But uh, we don't want to get carried away with that yet. Anyway, we will mm. obviously got that to preview further down the line. Event and happens there. So, uh, but yeah, Champions League over and done with for now until next week. Um, in the meantime, Liverpool have I suppose you could label a, a banana skin fixture against Newcastle United away from home. After European game, early kickoff against a team who have won, I think, the past six in a row at St James's Park. Mm. Yeah, so the uh, I had a little look at them recently, and it, if if the season started on New Year's Day, they'd be second in the league behind only Liverpool. You know, which shows how many points they've actually picked up. Uh, I think they're on course to win five Premier League games in a row for the first time in something like seven, eight years. Um and yeah, they look the flying aren't they, especially as you said at St. James's Park. Um it's it's a tough fixture for sure. There is one little thing that I do want to flag, but maybe I, you know we'll we'll stay on the kind of pro Newcastle stuff for now and then I come back to me on it. But um looking at from the pool point of view, yeah, look it looks tricky because they've Definitely turned the corner. I think Howe's done a really good job there. Um, and they've got some... Suddenly, they look like they've got... I remember looking at that squad at the start of this season and thinking, like, it's just not a great squad. I, I think maybe we might have even previewed it going. There's no one there, really. Maybe St. Maximum, but he's, you know, we've got fitness issues. But now you look at it and you're like, there's some decent players in there, you know. Joel Linton suddenly looks like a, an unbelievable player playing deeper in deeper positions. And, you know, they look a much stronger outfit than than they did, you know, seven, eight months ago. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Well, I was going to say, in the January window, we gave a rating to every Premier League team based on the business that they'd done. Uh, can you remember what we gave Newcastle? I feel like it was decent, though. Mm, well, I think we probably did, but I can't remember. Can't remember because what. I think we definitely that, did, actually. Yeah, I think one one thing that frustrates me when it comes to this is obviously they've had massive help when it comes to uh, finances and things like that. But I don't think in this situation you can put it all down to out of throw money at the problem. I think you also have to appreciate that the money that they did throw at the problem was thrown in a. a good solutions basically i think the players that they got in it was a really um high pressure window that for newcastle and i can't remember who it was who oversee who was the you know the the guiding presence for for the recruitment that they undertook but the, the players they bought i do think looking back now there's some good some good moves in there even at the at the end just getting the likes of matt target on loan um established premier league fullback and then you know, a left back, there's not too many of them around. Um, Dan Byrne as well, who's, who I've learned since, to be honest, is horrible. <laughs> He's a very, very aggressive centre-half him and just like, 
you know, punches people into the ground off the ball and that when the referee's got his black back to him and things like that. So I do Hold think on, where, where is this what where have you seen this? What's, haven't you uh, seen it? No, no. So the past few times I've watched Dan Byrne, he is a he's an absolute Sunday league wind up merchant. Like yeah. um there was a moment against I think it was Spurs and Newcastle have a corner and the ball gets cleared. So Spurs try and counter-attack from Newcastle's corner, if you know what I mean. Mm. So as the break and everyone's on the field, and Emerson Royale <laughs> is doing his absolute best to support the attack by just running forward for his team. And out of nowhere, six foot six Dan Byrne, who's also running back, just goes bang. Like yeah. a, 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 it's, just, it's a shoulder badge in a way, but it's like a, a rugby tackle almost. Right. Yeah. And he didn't even get booked. Um, Did not get pulled back? No, I don't think so, because the referee oh. was also one on forward, didn't see oh. it. And um, the the camera panned to Dan Byrne about two minutes later after Emerson had got up and, and received treatment. And Dan Byrne was blowing kisses in his direction. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen yeah, that I, like him. I love him, yeah, I think he's great. Yeah. But, um, he is horrible as well. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of behavior that you love on your own team, just maybe not so much when you're coming up against it. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, when you've got your, a physical presence like that, I mean, you can put it about, can't you? You can really uh, establish your, you know, your imposing presence on the game if you like. Well, that's what they've got, haven't they? You know, they've got him. Uh, I think Joel Linton, we just spoke about, can do that in the middle of the park quite well. And obviously, got Wood as well up top, which. Okay, you knew, it, that was always going to be a bit of a short-term buy, wasn't it? But he's he's kind of done the job that he was brought in to do. You know, it's signing from Burnley, throws himself about, gets gets the odd the odd goal as well. Um, and I mean, look, he Willie Willie cause Van Dyke seems to do quite well against you know players like that because of his own physical dominance. But it doesn't mean that he still won't be a little bit of a handful, you know, on on Saturday. Um, and it's someone that you, you you kind of you know you're going to be in, in for a bit of a battle with. Yeah, Bruno Gimmerich is obviously another player that we flagged at the mm. time. We were quite surprised that they were able to land him. Um, and after until, initially, after sorry. initially coming, sorry, go on. I was going to say well, until they started getting paying four times as a <laughs> weekly salary, then it kind of made a bit more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think uh, he, he initially came through behind the scenes. I think he was he was entered into Premier League football very slowly by Eddie Howe. And now that he's playing, he's actually playing as a number eight, I think, which is a little bit surprising. And on the back of that, he scored one or two goals as well. Um, So, yeah, across the board, Newcastle have obviously improved. They've spent the money well, which is easier said than done. And looking at the squad and what Liverpool are going to come up against, they do have a number of players who you could label as, like, you know, runners, um, Plays were particularly problematic for, for an offside trap, for example, like Liverpool's. The likes of Joe Willock, uh, Joe Linton, um, St. Maximum, you've got Almadon as well. All these players, Jacob Murphy included, all these players can kind of, you know, run from deep and stretch your back line, basically, and mm. cause problems making off the ball runs, arriving late and stuff. And I think on the break, th- th- these could cause some issues for Liverpool. Yeah, because that's that's the one thing, isn't it? That um, 
I, w- I think it would be an over-exaggeration to say teams have success against Liverpool doing this, but they always seem to get maybe one or two chances uh, on the break. You know, that's one thing. That is That feels like it's always going to be the trade-off of the way Liverpool play. You know, the aggressive, uh, we play in your territory, we push our, high, our line really high, pin you in. The trade-off is... You've always got this um, small window that can be exposed in terms of fast breaks and players running in behind and getting kind of in 1v1 situations. Obviously, Liverpool get punished far less than other teams will because of how dominant Allison is in the goal. But it's uh, it's still always a risk and, and they could have the potential to, to expose it this weekend. Yeah, well, just, just for a bit of perspective on that, uh, John Harrison... Who was who actually his data appeared on Monday Night Football recently? Actually, um, he does goalkeeping modeling and things like that, data related to goalkeepers. And according to his numbers, Allison has faced 47 1v1s this season in the Premier League. Edison, for example, has faced 27. So it's not far off double 20, 20 more than Edison in terms of 1v1s, and that stems from Liverpool's approach, it stems from. You know, the, the offside trap and things like that, the high line. Obviously, Allison is very, very good at managing those situations. But I do think Liverpool will probably face one or two against Newcastle. And if there's any kind of hangover from the the midweek game against Villarreal, lack of focus, uh, lack of speed, whatever it is, I think Newcastle do have the, the confidence at the minute and the players to... To punish Liverpool if they're allowed, so I'm not sure how this one will go. I find this one difficult to uh, to predict. If you know what I mean. Yeah, one thing I, I touched on at the start of this segment that I'll, I'll, I'll mention now is I did have a quick gander um, at their record because obviously they've, they've picked up a fair bit of points, but um, when I've actually looked at it, it does seem to be very. Um, flat track bully-esque if that makes sense so they've picked up a lot of points against teams that you could argue uh you'd expect them to given you know the improvements they've made but they're still maybe not quite at a level where they're able to stop or compete with the better teams and i mean they've played 11 games this season against teams currently situated seventh or above and they failed to win any of them now, I know some of them may have come early in the year uh, when they weren't at, at the level they are now, but you know they did recently play Tottenham at the beginning of April. They would be 5-1 in that game. I think about a week or two before, they, uh, they were beaten by Chelsea. And to be fair, I watched that game and they did do they did do okay. I think they were undone late on, uh, but obviously it still ended in defeat. So, you know, obviously they are an improving side for the reasons we just said, but and you know, there's the Liverpool should probably be looking at this thinking uh, they're they're not quite there yet in terms of maybe being able to stop a team as as good as us, and and, and therefore you know it should hopefully from a Liverpool perspective still be a uh, three points that they need. No, it's a good point. If you look at the the six games in a row that they've won at home, it has been against uh, Crystal Palace, Leicester, Wolves, Brighton. Villa and Everton. Um, not the easiest one, but not the hardest one either. And yeah. you know, no, no real top six team in there, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting. 
as I said, potential banana skin there. It's it's it could be a few decisive things this this weekend actually considering uh City have got Leeds away. Uh, you just never know what to expect with Leeds, do you? No. Uh, and it's it's Ellen Road, it's a it's a later game, so you never know what there, but uh, hope, hopefully something happens. Yeah, I was just saying if Liverpool win there, it just feels like it could be huge in terms of putting pressure on City. You know, it's yeah. like going to Ellen Road, they they're desperate to win, aren't they? Because they're actually still in that relegation battle. Uh, under the light, I say under the light, it'll still be light, but you know what I mean. The evening kick off yeah. has that little bit more, um, a little bit more behind it, a little bit more aggressiveness. So, yeah, if the pool can put the pressure on City going into that one, that's very interesting. But you know, vice versa, if the pool was to drop points, um, that would give them a huge incentive. So, it's just another big weekend. We've been here before, haven't we? With the been here the last few years. Every weekend just feels decisive. Um, it is nice though when you get yeah. when you get to those occasional weekends where it looks like okay, something could happen here. Like say for mm-hmm. example, last week City had waffled. You know, yeah. it was it was a knock and bet, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. This time around, you know, something could change. You never know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll round up anyway. Okay. We'll leave it there. So, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Ah, Cheers, everyone. And we'll be back next week to probably to talk about the Champions League final. Hopefully, if Liverpool gets through and whoever Liverpool are going to face and things like that. So, yeah, join us then. And thanks for tuning in. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.